Hey guys, Warren Sharp here, and we are off to a ridiculously hot start in NFL betting recommendations over at chartfootballanalysis.com. 16 and 6 to start the season. That's 73%. Computer tolls, which started last week, we won four out of those five. And now here we go into week four. And I've already got five computer totals out there. But before you just run to the website and try to buy the package, I want you to hold up and listen to this announcement. Thursday night football. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals wearing their all-white jerseys going up against Miami Dolphins and Tua. Two high-flying offenses, a point total that's projected to hit 47 points. We are doing a points promo on Thursday Night Football. That means that on Friday, you can go to the website, and however many total points that these two teams actually combine to score on Thursday night, that's the percentage you get off everything at sharpfootballanalysis.com on Friday. It will only last for one day. So let me repeat, if this score ends 30 to 27, 57 points are scored, you get 57% off the website on Friday. This is a deal you do not want to miss. You want to root for a lot of points to be scored on Thursday night because that's the percentage off that you are going to get over at Sharp Football Analysis on Friday. This will last one day only. Mark it down. Be ready to come to the website on Friday and get however many percent off. Could be 75%. Could be 35%. Either way, you're going to save a ton, and we are off to a super hot start. So pay attention on Friday to sharpfootballanalysis.com. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is your resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we are here. We're going to flip the page on a, the first month of football. These games are actually going to be technically played on Sunday in October, which is pretty wild to think about. Uh, but we're here, week four. We're starting to build up that sample, which we love. We're starting to get some things to latch onto. Hopefully everyone is sitting at three wins, hopefully at least two. But if you don't, if you only have one win, maybe even zero wins, I brought in a good guest to hopefully get you back off the schneid and into the winning column. And that guest that I brought on today is Ben Gretsch, now just from Stealing Signals. But Ben, what's happening, brother? Not much, man. Yeah, busy. I, it's wild, that, as you said that, to, to think that we're going to be turning the page here to October. Everything goes so fast. I mean, how quick does August go, frankly? And then now we're already done with September. But uh, yeah, stuff's going good, man. Busy first first month. A lot of stuff to, to dig into. Always a lot that, that, you know, goes the way that you expect, but obviously then a, a lot that goes the way you don't expect and, and you're trying to figure it all out. This has been a really interesting year in terms of, I mean, there's been, there's a lot of bad offenses. There's a lot that is, you know, still to play out in terms of which of these teams are going to figure it out, which of the early running backs might actually do something at some point. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot go a lot to, to happen the rest of the way here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I wrote about in the Sharp Football Preview book this year was just kind of, you know, understanding that one, this was going to be a unique season because it was probably going to have the least impact from COVID than the previous two years. Uh, and like, how do we handle that? Because, you know, a lot of people don't talk about like the impact COVID had on yeah. what what transpired the past two years, even on a, from a football stance. I mean, two years ago, there was basically no home field advantage at all. Massive uh, scoring increase, like two points yep. per game over basically every other se- for you know per team over basically every other every other season in the last you know several years. And then you remember at the end of last year, we went through like December, where I think there was almost 500 players that had 
COVID related like like absences or like were, like whether be practice or games. So like it was just absolutely insane. And then now we have you know kind of this influx of the defenses now getting religion and combating all these really good offenses. And, you know, now you, you know, like I said, my grandma knows about two high safeties now, like, you know, <laughs> you know and we're seeing like that play out this season, man coverage is way down. So we've got all these elements in play and, you know, scoring is down. It's dropped all three weeks this season, like you said, uh, but yeah, creating a new environment, but Hey, we're going to have to adjust to landscape because every fantasy season is different. And that's what we're here to do. I, I want to steal some signals uh, you know, you I had you on last year, and you obviously got the, you know, I had you on to, to promote selling signals, but obviously we have a bunch of people hearing you for the first time. And, you know, you do one of the most fantastic jobs of going through and dissecting these games. Let everyone kind of know what stealing signals is, what goes into it, and, you know, kind of, you know, where they can find it. Yeah, so I write it as a Substack newsletter these days. You can find it at bengresh.substack.com. It's uh, an article that I've written since... 2017 i think so the the sixth year um break down every game on mondays and tuesdays on monday i do the thursday night game and all the early sunday games on tuesdays i do the late sunday game sunday night football monday night football so there's these two editions they're very long they're pretty thorough breakdowns i mean early on the idea was just you know dig into the numbers and all that the landscape has really changed there's a lot now that is known in terms of a lot of the data that I was looking mm -hmm. at back in 2017, 2018, 2019. It's very commonly known. And I think those usage trends sometimes get almost overvalued. So I, these days, I'm spending a lot of time talking about, you know, game context, the teams, and, and really trying to spin the usage stuff forward and, and kind of recalibrating the player value every week, but breaking down, you know, every game with like a key stat and some, you know, key usage notes talking about sort of what went into the actual stats that that we saw, right? And then and then at the end of every game, a little recap or, you know, what was signal, what was noise? And, and what, what data have we seen that is going to continue to be, you know, or, or was predictive in a way that we would expect to, to continue to be useful for us and what stuff might be, you know, good stuff to fade going forward? Yeah, I love that. And I love how you frame that because as someone that writes uh, – an early week article, you know, that is looking forward at the games that are going to happen this week, but also incorporating what's happened just recently. Uh, I love that you framed it, the, the stat, how the stats have changed, you know, how more things are known in that are just commonplace to the general public and the evolution of how trying to change your article. Cause that's something like I've dealt with and evolved, you know, uh, since I've done the worksheet, you know, for the last, yeah. you know, eight years as well. I, I, so. I remember when I started that, Sean Siegel was the one who, you know, asked me to do it back at Rotoviz. And he was like, what I'm thinking is like the worksheet, but instead of looking at the matchups, like it'll be looking back, right? Like an early week version of the worksheet, but he was, you know, and, and Silva's matchups column. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, these were the two game by game, massive pieces out there. And it was like, it'll be like that, but it will be not competing with that. It'll be something that would be a really good pairing with that. If you're reading one early in the week to look back and then one that's looking forward, uh, so that's that's sort of been the goal of of the piece. No, no, I love that. Yeah, and it's it's crazy, and I I definitely think we've seen a change on the consumption of fantasy football, not just my content creation stance, but the the general public from a consumer stance having their thumb in on a lot of things. And I think that's you've seen that. You know, with like early waiver wires haven't been as good. Uh, you know, there's like they said the the and then building out team constructs was a little bit trickier this year because you know you had people that were on stuff like. 
you know, zero RB, anchor RB, knowing how to properly build around those components. And it's changed the fantasy landscape and playing a little bit, which makes it fun, though, too. The running back dead zone was the really popular thing last year. And you saw that, I think, manifest significantly more, I would say, especially like in the high stakes arenas, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the longtime grinders that would take two or three running backs early and still be hitting a running back in round five or round six, but you didn't see that as much. We saw a lot more of the anchor, as you said, or maybe two running backs early, but then just straight receivers through the dead zone. And if everyone's doing that, whether they're running zero RB or anchor RB or whatever, if everyone's taking receivers in those rounds, it does change a lot, right? It, it was a, it was a really interesting year. There's still some really interesting pockets of, of players too, though. Like the the rookie receivers, I thought was one that I, I I don't know about you in the preseason, but I was really surprised at how cheap all the rookies were relative to how high all the receivers were going. That was one we pushed a lot. There's a lot of rookies that we'll probably talk about today because it's been a really exciting start for the rookie receivers. Yeah, I mean anything that involves like any type of you know you haven't seen it yet. Always in fantasy football is the biggest areas to exploit. Year two wide receivers, year one wide receivers, wide receivers changing teams. All those things have just been massive, massive yeah. runouts uh, these opening three weeks of the season. Uh, talk to me about the uh, one player that hasn't had a massive runout to start the season, but you're still bullish on big picture in 2022. So, all right, every team every week. Have you know the signals and noise from every team every week? So when you say one player, I I come up with like six. I'll beat them. The people want to hear them. You tell me. You tell me which of these I I put a few down. You tell me which of these you want to talk about more. But I think I mean Kyle Pitts is a a pretty easy one. Even after you know a better game in in week three, J.K. Dobbins still pretty high on. I I was excited. He got the like Justice Hill looked good, but Dobbins got the the like goal line toucher. I call them green zone touches. I look from the in, the 10 yard line and then mm-hmm. he got the green zone touch. He led the team in routes run. Didn't, I mean, you, you're expecting them to ease him in, but the yeah. potential for, you know, the lead receiving and the, the touchdown equity was already there in his profile. So I'm pretty excited about his first week where, you know, he didn't play a ton. Uh, I'm still a little bit interested in Sky Moore. I, I still think that's going to come to fruition. It's the one of the rookies that hasn't hit to, to where we expected right away. Uh, I think both Kadarius Tony and Wandell Robinson have gotten off to really slow starts, but the the Giants just have so much opportunity open now with the Shepard injury. It's got to be one of those two, I think. And then Debo Samuel is a big one as well that I think people are a little disappointed in right now. I'm pretty excited about him and San Francisco whole passing offense. So those are all the ones that just popped off the top of my head. When I Yeah, the, a lot of good ones here. Uh, I mean, we could take it in any direction you want, but yeah, I mean, I wrote about Kyle Pitts a little bit this week, and, you know, I kind of, you know, he's not a guy I was into this this season and the offseason just because of where his price was, but I definitely had, like, major FOMO, like, where I was handling him. Like, he's, he's that type of talent. I almost am to the point uh, where, like, at least in this setting with Arthur Smith, like, his greatest attributes, the greatest gifts are almost a curse for him. Uh, you know, you look at the way he's being utilized by Arthur Smith and it's almost like what you would want to have from like a ceiling perspective, but he's also not getting like all the other things like a, a, a like an elite tight end would get right. Like compare him to Mark Andrews, who has like a really high dot. He's actually has the second highest dot behind Kyle Pitts. Uh, and he runs the same amount of downfield routes as Kyle Pitts. They're both at 13 and a half percent of their routes or 20 or more yards downfield. They're both top five in that area. But where Mark Andrews like gets over instead of having that is he gets a ton of short and intermediate targets and Kyle Pitts gets none of those. Like so, so far to like, and we're only three weeks in, like there could be some calibration here in Arthur Smith's part, but 
45% of the targets Mark Andrews has gotten this year are short targets, one to 10 air yards. Kyle Pitts is just at 38%. And then 32% are for Mark Andrews on the intermediate level. And Kyle Pitts is at just 22%. It's one of the lowest rates in the NFL uh, for tight ends. So it's like, they're getting, we want him to be able to line up out wide, right? We want to be able to get deep targets for these tight ends because that's how you can just have this mega ceiling. But like the Atlanta Falcons aren't giving him enough easy targets and a lot of free targets. And then you combine that with them being a lower volume passing offense. It's kind of how we had this run out the opening month, but I I still am scared, terrified of his talent. (laughs) Yeah. That's the part where, so everything you just said, those are, I mean, really, really great data, but it's all relative to the targets he's gotten. He's only gotten 18 so far. Right. And Mm -hmm. so we, there's, there's the potential for that to build out. I think everything you said about Andrews is extremely exciting because we've actually seen a lot of work and it's, you know, it's in very positive ways. Part of the reason to still be, you know, interested in pits basically is he hasn't seen a whole lot of volume so far. And that's just not going to stick with a, you know, top five overall pick. He was Arthur Smith was already getting all these questions last week about not using him over the first two weeks. You got a guy who was a thousand yard tight end last year. One of only three, Uh, one of only four that had more than 830 yards at the tight end position last year when he was 20 turning 21 and he's still right now 21 years old you're going to have some bumps and bruises you're going to have some down games there's target variance it's a low volume passing game i wasn't very concerned about the first two weeks i think week three was really kind of frustrating because he gets out to the four for 82 line in the first half and they they did respond to i think the criticism first play deep shot to him you know third down they throw to him first drive going right to him. I mean, he could have had a long touchdown on that first deep shot, but after halftime, they get into their shell a little bit, which they like to do. They only end up only end up throwing 20 passes. That could have been his 150 yard game. Mm-hmm. I do think Atlanta is going to be trailing in some spots where that type of early opportunity could stretch into the second half. He only got one target in the second half of this game. I'm pretty disappointed, frankly, by his week three line, because I think it could have been a lot more. I don't, I don't think he's going to, you know, match Andrews. I think what we've seen so far is that Andrews is is just such a smash, right? He's due for some regression, but it looks so fantastic. I do think Pitts is still one of the very few players at a really weak tight end position that can give you some real ceiling. I'm hopeful that as we go forward, some of those short and intermediate targets start to materialize. And maybe they have some games where they throw a little bit more because they have been they're a low-volume pass offense. We knew these three games were sort of part of the range of outcomes, but, I mean, Marcus Mariota's thrown 79 passes through three games. It's very, very low. I think it would probably put them on pace to have lower pass attempts than any team in the league last year. Typically, the low end of the league is like 28 per game. That's about 26, right, per game. So we're talking about uh, even if they're a really low-volume pass offense, this has been you know somewhat extreme. They're going to have to add probably a few pass attempts just based on getting into certain game scripts and things like that. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful. And I, and I think from a talent perspective, you still have to be in the stuff you said about the deep targets. Like they, they got to hit on some of that. It would be great if they would have hit on, you know, the first play last week, we did see them hit on one in the preseason, but that stuff is like very rare for a tight end, right? You start hitting on a couple of those. There's not a lot of tight ends that can, that are getting 50 yard shots. I mean, Andrew's percentage of deep routes is, is, similarly high like you said but even his aren't usually 50 yard go routes from split outside right there's basically no tight end that's running the routes that that Pitts is that are like you know true x wide receiver routes sometimes yeah I mean one of the biggest things you have to feel positive about with with Atlanta in general is they're just a lot better than I think a lot of people thought they were going to be 
I mean, right now they are fifth in the NFL in rate of drives to reach the red zone. And the big hangup for Pitts were people running away from him or maybe even Drake London where his ADP was being the first wide receiver taken in the draft and then basically going around like in the wide receiver 30s. And then he fell a little bit because he had the preseason injury. But Atlanta has been just a lot more capable and functional offense. They've been fun so far. We've seen them do a lot of fun things. They're running a lot of like full house. They're running a lot of pistol, uh, the most pistol in the NFL. Uh, Marks Meridian's averaging almost 12 yards per attempt out of the pistol. But uh, talk to me a little bit about that, just like how sometimes we just focus in on maybe one outcome for a team when there's a lot more opportunity and variance uh, for teams to not be exactly what we thought. And you can get value in those situations. Yeah, you mean as far as – so you sent over some questions before. I think most most listeners know that, that, you know, sometimes we see some questions. You had a question for me about the Falcons. Is that – you asked, like, are the Falcons a lesson that we overvalue, you know, what, what we think teams are? I guess my right. question is in what way? Because I, I, I guess I I was – I was really interested by this question, so I, I wanted to get your thoughts because yeah, I, um... I kind of expected Mariota to play pretty well. And I guess I, I think what we've seen through the few, first few weeks – is sort of what I expected to a degree. So I'm curious what, what, what you meant. By yeah, that. I mean, really the big argument for Pitts, uh, the detracting side, was that this would be maybe the lowest scoring team in the NFL, right? Sure. Like, uh, and But no, no one has accounted for like, well, what if they aren't? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but just, well, what if they aren't? What if they're better? We're seeing that in some other scenarios too, like uh, the Broncos, right? Like the Broncos have been awful. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've been awful. Yes. The Rams haven't been as good. Like, the, the Buccaneers, like people weren't accounting for the amount of variance that they could they could have, right? Like, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into an NFL season, but when we're drafting these players and we're, and, and we're incorporating team context into the player selection, uh, I feel like a lot of people are just, you know, a lot of times you get tunnel vision on what these teams are going to be and not focus on like the range of outcomes uh, into the players. And I think that's what we have with the Falcons players right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I hear you now for sure. I mean, what I so I, I write a lot about, the uncertainty with the team level stuff. So that was part mm-hmm. of why I wanted to hit on that. I know, I mean, I, I love chatting with you. I know you're thinking similarly on that. And the the Falcons are a team that I expected to be low volume from a pass perspective, but I actually thought they might be fairly interesting in terms of their efficiency on like a per drive basis and things like that, which we have seen. Like you mentioned, they've, they've yeah. been somewhat efficient. That is part of the bull case for Pitts. I actually think it's worked against Pitts a little bit because they've been in a little bit more games in, in, a, in from a pass attempts perspective, I guess, right? And, and so that they might have some games where they're trailing by by more and, and really sort of forcing them to a pass-heavy lean. It is tough because I think Arthur Smith does want to run the football. And so you're getting into this case where, like, you know, if they're running well, he's going to want to run the football. If they're not running well, he's going to kind of want to establish the run. So you got to have both sides of it leading him to the conclusion to maybe run the ball a little bit more. You'd like to see more dropbacks in those things. I do think the Falcons offense playing well is a very positive sign. So a positive side for everyone. Drake London getting off to a hot start, I think, is really good for Pitts. That was one of the other things I felt from the first two weeks that people were overreacting to Pitts at oh, the yeah. expense of London. London had a 48% target share in week two. I mean, Pitts has this three target game. It's not great, but it's not terrible in the context of his teammate. It's not like he was giving up targets to Alameda Zacchaeus. He's, his teammates are really good elite receiver who or rookie elite prospect, I should say, right. Who comes out and has a 48% target share game. He's not going to do that over multiple weeks. Like it's really easy to look at London and say, that's got to come down. It came down in week three. And, and, and that's, I mean, there's going to be variants like that in, in any offense from a week to week basis. So that's the kind of thing that, 
I think has to swing back towards Pitts long term. It did in week three. He had more volume. He had more air yards, more targets than London in week three. London's very good too, but it, it looks like a really concentrated passing game, which is great, right? On the two guys, even though it's low volume, it's mostly just going to be London and Pitts. And and yeah, I mean, to your point, I I, I think they're going to be feisty. I think they're going to be pretty solid. It looks like Mariota is going to play to a, a decent level. They also have Ritter if, you know, Mariota does start to play poorly and we might see Ritter regardless. And I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of bullish on him. I thought he looked pretty solid in the preseason. So I think the Falcons are going to be uh, efficient enough. The question is just like, will they get into some game scripts? And, and that can happen a lot of ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're playing poorly. It can happen from special teams plays. It can happen from whatever, but um, get into some of these scripts where, you know, they're forced to throw more, right? Like we would like to see more than 20 pass attempts. That's, that's a big thing right now. All right. So we got some, we got, we got a little sample of players there that you are still bullish on rest of the season. So if you're trying to, you know, if you're looking for guys to acquire and make some moves, those are the guys, how about someone you're either high or low on that three weeks in the season, you've kind of said, Oh, that's not going the way I thought. And you're, you're already ready to change your priors on. Yeah, the biggest one is DJ Moore, who I've been a longtime fan of, very high on him again this year. And that's not God well. <laughs> and I, I don't, I mean, you want to talk about an offense that we got to be really concerned about. The Panthers are just the worst run offense that I can remember. I mean, it's like, I guess since Urban Meyer's team last year. So that, I guess I can remember a team that's a little later. A, another couple are James Robinson and Christian Kirk in Jacksonville. And I think Jacksonville's a really good outcome in, in the sense of remembering how situations can be so bad that there's basically only room for growth. And and then vice versa works too. But I don't think we talk enough about how outcomes sometimes are like 10th percentile outcomes for a whole team. Urban Meyer last year was pretty clearly not a very good head coach. And you can talk about it from the off season on, you know, all the reports about stuff and training, kicking the kicker and stuff like the, there was players that were not buying in. You have a whole organizational dysfunction that Doug Peterson comes in and almost by default was going to add some type of stability that was going to probably allow them to play better game to game. And yet there was also upside from that. And I think they've moved not just better than like a 10th percentile outcome to, to somewhere where, I think we can say that whatever Doug Peterson has brought in and done with the, with the organization has been uh, a positive, you know, for, for their players' ability to, to perform on the field. Maybe now we're at a 60th percentile, 70th percentile outcome. Who knows? But it's been very positive for a lot of the players on the team. It's been very positive for Trevor Lawrence, obviously. Christian Kirk and James Robinson are a couple obvious ones. That's not going to happen in every situation. DJ Moore is the, the opposite. He was in a terrible situation last year, and he's still in a terrible situation. Like, sometimes terrible situations just stay – pretty terrible mm-hmm. i thought the qb change might be enough i think they needed to make a coaching change last offseason too the bears another example that was terrible they do make a coaching change and it still just looks like they don't want to be competitive uh like they don't even want to try to throw the ball or any of those elements so there's there's that, that can go both ways in terms of trying to bet into like really poor situations but the jaguars are a team that have gotten a lot better almost just compared to last year where like we have to remember that it was probably the worst situation in the league last year for players to excel. Uh, But yeah, Robinson, Kirk are good ones. Mike Williams is another dude I was high on that I'm getting a little bit concerned with. I would say Curtis Samuel, Chris Olave are two that I was a little, a little lower on. Olave was the one rookie that at his cost, I didn't really love. And I mean, I have to have to admit at this point, you know, it looks like one that I wish I had more exposure to. (laughs) 
Yeah, that all the I mean, listen, all these rookies look so so good. Uh Alave wasn't a guy I loved as a prospect, but I loved his situation for year one fantasy and his cost. So at least that one was right. Uh sticking with the Jaguars. Um, so when you have this run out or a situation with the Jaguars where like, oh, the Jaguars look, you know, not only competent, but they look like they could potentially be a good team. Uh, at least in context of, of the the AFC South, um, do you feel like that's something that you want to take advantage of, or something you want to ride out and see if it gets better? Like, do you generally believe that this is what we'll see from the Jaguars the rest of the season? Are some of these guys like a Kirk or a James Robinson maybe some of the hotter tickets to kind of you know to push for some underperformers to start the year? So Robinson, I've been kind of writing up that way, but my ship chasing co-host last night, uh, Peter Overset last night, told me that kind of around the industry, you know, I'm, I'm writing a lot early in the week. He's been mm-hmm. able to catch on some, some more content that around the industry, it seems like a lot of people are, are calling him a sell high. And so I guess the question is what's the sticker price on a player like mm-hmm. him, right? Because it always matters. Right. If everyone's saying sell high on him, I mean, I think there's maybe a case to, to buy at a discount to what he's already done. He like, there, there are some concerns with what he has done. He has a couple of long touchdown runs, any type of, you know, points above expectation type of metric, he's probably going to look pretty good because of Mm -hmm. those long touchdown runs. I have felt like on both of those plays, we haven't really seen the long speed back. He's never really been a long speed guy, but just from a film watching take that there's maybe a little bit of concern. They were both plays where, especially the one last week where it was really well blocked and he got into space pretty quick. And if you look at like the next gen stats, uh, rushing yards over expected metric, which uh, is a pretty fun one. You look at the percentage of his rushes that have gone for positive expected yards. It's like 25%. I think there's only three running backs out of like a sample of maybe 50 that are qualifiers, 51, I think it is, that have a worse percentage of runs that have gone for positive yards over expected. So maybe he's not all the way back from the Achilles from an explosiveness standpoint and a couple of long runs have masked that. And in that regard, would make sense to sell high. But in the regard of like, he's been a productive and the team is definitely going to see that and continue to use him. And at least in the short term, he's the running back in in Jacksonville that you'd want to have. If you're in a situation where you're trying to get some running back points and there's not a lot of places to look for that, if people are willing to sell a little bit, like they think they're selling high, but you're actually kind of buying at a discount to what the production has been. I mean, I think Robinson is going to continue to get work in the in the short areas of the field and have touchdown equity, and this offense has looked better. He's going to continue to be the higher touchback. I do think by the end of the year, there's a pretty solid chance that ETN does flip this back because it's, it's definitely flipped since draft season where ETN was going way higher. But I do think there's a chance if Robinson's not all the way there physically as the season goes along. And he like, remember, the Achilles was December 26th last year. He's going to try to play this whole year within a, a calendar year of right. an Achilles injury. That's usually a 12 to 18 month injury. It's amazing story for the first three weeks, how good he's looked, but to go through week six, week eight, week 10, week 12 is going to be tough. So it's real price to p- dependent on a guy like James Robinson is what I would say. If, if you can find somebody who thinks they're selling high, but you're almost low key buying low for some short term running back production. That's the way I would think of it is like, I'd be willing to buy in that situation. If you can get some legit sell high value out of him, I'm definitely willing to sell. Yeah, I mean, with James Robinson, it's a little tricky because, yeah, he is three-game sample. He's definitely gotten fortunate in terms of some of the long runs he's had. And and, and we, it's not uncommon to see a fourth-and-one run get popped, right? You have a defense selling out to, to stop a short run, and if you hit the second level, there is nobody there. And you're going you're gonna to score a touchdown probably. Uh, this, it does Adrian Peterson's entire career, basically. <laughs> uh, but 
I do think that ETN is one of the better buys. Uh, I don't think that James Robinson is necessarily a sell either. Because remember, James Robinson also has given us a, a multi-year sample now where he's pretty good. He's good. He's a good, he's a good player. Yeah. Uh, and I Even if he's not 100% back physically, he does what you need a running back to do, right? Yes. Like he's <laughs> not a lot of wasted movement. Like I think I compared him to Leonard Fournette the other day, which is like, that's what I think of as Fournette. I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge Fournette guy. I know that he's a very polarizing player, but I don't think he adds a ton but he does what you need him to do. And that's why he stays on the field and he catches as many passes as he does. And he gets the goal line work. He's a big back that is in the spots where the team needs him to be. And I mean, that's workload is a lot at running back. That can be enough, right? Yeah. And uh, ETN was a guy I wasn't drafting at all uh, in the third round. Um, I remember being, as I drafted my son and told him not to take him, he took him anyways, but I think he's one of, but I think he's one of the better buys right now because of the run out the Jaguars have had. I mean, they haven't trailed at all. They're, they're, they're a top seven team and amount of, of plays trailed in the last two weeks. They haven't trailed at all. And he, he hasn't gotten on the field at all. So if they trail more, I think we'll see him get, you know, involved more in the past game. Uh, he's looked apart fine, you know, outside of spiking that one potential touchdown, you know, in week one. Uh, but then you have the contingent value of, well, if the, if the Jaguars are this good and James Robinson is getting these carries, then if something were to happen to James Robinson, you've got, you know, the contingent upside of Travis Etienne. So uh, he's definitely a guy I'm actually looking to kind of acquire on teams where maybe just that, that gamer wants to get rid of something, get rid of him for someone that's actually playing in his doing stuff. But I think he's a pretty interesting, you know, uh, a guy to acquire at this point. Um, but yeah, the Jaguars are very interesting. I think, we'll, what's it? I think we'll earn, learn a lot from the Jaguars this weekend, right? Like you play the Colts in week two, who just had a terrible injury run out. Uh, the Chargers kind of have something similar last week. No Keenan Allen. Herbert's coming off the ribs, not really practicing. They, they're they down two starting offensive linemen. Uh, they're down J.C. Jackson. Bosa leaves the game. But um, even considering all that, impressive road yes. performance oh, across oh. the country. Yeah, and I wrote this about their defense, too, was like, well, that's what you want a good team to do, right? Like, yeah. good teams smoke these teams. A lot of people have talked about the Eagles and who they played to start. And I'm like, well, good teams smoke bad teams. That's what yeah. we want. And the Jaguars have done that. So I want to see this week as like the real litmus test for the Jaguars, right? Yeah, like I agree with you. And, and to your bigger question about it, is, is this who they are? I think you just hit on that really well. There's some elements of it that are like they haven't trailed yet. Like that's going to that's gonna change. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're not going to play 17 games uh, and never trail. But um, the, the, the Browns are, like are better too. now than we expected coming in, right? Yeah. I think we can definitely say that they are a team we should expect more from, which is how you wind up with the advice that we're giving on the running backs, right? This offense is better than we thought. And so we're saying, yeah, maybe James Robinson isn't really sell high, but at the same time, ETN's a, a buy low because this is now one of the more interesting offenses. There's a lot of offenses that aren't very interesting right now. Like this is, <laughs> this is one to, to look at for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing we're still navigating through the small sample. I mean, you look at a team like the Browns, the Browns have trailed for only 10% of their snaps right now. And they're right now their running backs are getting 38 touches a game. Like that's not going to be static. And then after this week, they actually have a pretty start, start a pretty tough run here. And we're going to see them. Yeah, trail they've played a nobody. What, Carolina week one, who was week two, yeah. the Jets? Uh, yeah, Carolina, Jets, Steelers, then Falcons this week. Then they start to have a really kind of a tougher outlook uh, in terms of games they might trail. Uh, I've, I floated out that Nick Chubb's probably, a, you know, he's actually a great player, but like he'd be someone I'd be looking to maybe upsell for like an underperformer plus. Yeah. Like you might be able to get Joe Mixon plus something now for Nick Chubb. Uh, something I would probably, you know, explore. But the one Brown I want to bring up to you is Amari Cooper. 
you know, a guy, again, people were saying we can't draft this guy because of the situation. Like, there's just no way. But he's kind of been like the guy that we kind of thought we were getting in DJ Moore. He's going to dominate targets and it doesn't matter. And he's been absolutely dominant these past two weeks. Uh, what are we doing with Amari Cooper kind of right now? Are we buying in that this is like what he's going to be? Because he's doing this while the Browns aren't trailing too. Um, or is he someone that's probably going to come back to the pack here? I, I guess I, I guess I don't I, I don't think of him as the DJ Moore. I, I, right now I think of him as what I was sort of describing as uh, for Brandon Cooks last year, which is like, yeah, I mean, you're going to have games where you dominate the volume but you're also in a bad passing and Cooper has the potential late season thing. If Watson comes back and plays at a high level, mm-hmm. that is a little bit different, but this, this passing offense is not going to be great. Jacoby Brissett is not a very good quarterback uh, in terms of efficiency and in terms of uh, driving efficiency for his receivers and those things throughout his career. Cooper is a good player, right? And he's had a couple of really good games. I guess the thing that I have felt with him is like, even those really good games where he's absolutely dominated volume and been really good, have amounted to 101 yards and a mm-hmm. touchdown exactly in both games. It hasn't been 150 yard games. hasn't been multiple TD games, which is a good example of, and now you, you brought a really good, this is why I love talking to you. Cause we, we look at some different stats. You brought a really good stat there that they've only trailed for 10% of their plays. that they're going to be in situations where they're going to have to throw more going forward. And so there's an element where you can be positive about him. He had a near miss on a really long pass uh, that he actually caught in week three, but he just ran out of bounds for like, yeah. I think long <laughs> enough that he would have drawn a penalty if he was a punt gunner for not getting back on the field quick enough. Cause he was <laughs> comically out of bounds, but still got a deep target, you know, p- pulled it in, had an, the potential for a bigger play there that could have put him towards, you know, 150 yard game. I guess, again, though, my concern is, you know, this is a team that last week he and Njoku dominated the volume. They had 190 receiving yards combined. The team threw for 220. Like there's, there's really good dominant. Uh, there's a really good element here of them dominating the volume, which is the same as you know, what we we're talking about with the Falcons, but similar to the Falcons, like you gotta, you gotta be a little bit aware that the, the, the total pie here is not super high. Can he do this every single week? Can he dominate to this degree every single week? I think if these are his good games, 101 in a TD, you kind of want to sell, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're worried about there's going to be some games where the passing offense as a whole is not good. There's going to be some games where his market share is not as high and other guys are getting involved. David Bell playing a little bit more interesting rookie might be, you know, a third option in that passing game that starts to cut into the 190 out of 220 yards that the two got, you know, two main guys had this past week. Um, Whoever else it may be, Harrison Bryan or somebody, there's going to be a little bit more spread in the, in the passes than that extreme of a, you know, of a production concentration, I think. And so, if the, it's kind of like if these are the good games, that's a concern. The, the, and so the I guess the reason I was saying I, you know, he wasn't really to me comparable to DJ Moore is I guess I was hoping DJ Moore had more than that in his big games, but maybe maybe I was wrong there. No, I love the I like the Brandon Cooks call out too from last year. Uh, yeah. I, I love that a lot. Yeah, I mean it's one of those things. Uh, his target shares like aren't like crazy, like where you talk about like when a guy like London week week two has like a 40% or AJ Brown in week one has like a 52% team target share. Like that's not going to happen again. Uh, when we were talking about get, like, maybe getting back on the Devonte Smith train, but like yeah. he's been flowing around like 35%, like that's going to come down, but like this potential to hang around like the, the high twenties, you know, for a guy like Cooper, uh, given what the Browns have, but yeah, those guys are, 
Like guys like David Bell, they're going to need to come and play more. And uh, even Njoku up until last week wasn't getting targets. Right. Uh, so they're going to get these other guys involved a little bit more. Uh, we threw some names out here, but one thing I wanted to at least, you know, you know, pick your brain about, because I actually saw you and Sean did a show on this uh, about, you know, slow starts from a player standpoint. But what about your team? If your team started 0-3 and, like, what do we do here? Cause we don't, we don't want to quit. Like we don't want to make yeah. fancy not fun and you're not technically dead. I mean, that you, you have an extra week, typically the, of, you know, normal year. Uh, what are we doing here to kind of combat like just being in this, like feeling terrible about fantasy football in September? I, I mean, I think it's tough, but there's a couple things that I always say in, in this spot. I mean, the first one is you have to do an honest assessment of your team because sometimes you're on three and you've just gotten a little unlucky. You maybe have gotten mm-hmm. unlucky with, points against you maybe have gotten unlucky um with your team just not scoring a lot of points because maybe you've had some injuries i mean i have a, a home league team <laughs> with my college buddies where i had trey lance and james connor and jerry judy all in the lineup in week two and they all leave really early in those games and yeah like i had like an 80 point week or 90 point week or something so it's there's there's context it's not going to happen every week where you're going to have three guys get injured in the same in the same week and, and all re- reasonably early in their games and not really give you any production you got to take an honest assessment of where your roster's at i think and then i i mean i think it's very the other thing is like it's very similar to when you're drafting like you want to now reassess sort of where your team is at and how can you build a strong roster right so like but some of it is probabilistic bets. Like if you still have, like, let's say you took some of these early running backs that haven't really been performing. You know, let's say you have an Austin Eckler who's been okay. He's been catching passes, hasn't done a lot. I mean, do you, do you have enough other assets to be moving Austin Eckler or or working around Austin Eckler? I mean, are your receivers strong enough, deep enough that like, okay, well I can, I can buy that Austin Eckler at least has some upside. He can give this roster something. You're trying to build something where you have a path two upside right and so whether or not Eckler's probabilistic range fits into your build is going to relate to the whole rest of your roster but like if you don't have a lot of RB2 or running back depth then I'm at 0-3 I'm going all right I'm making my bet on Eckler again just like I'm on draft season I need this guy to be a star that's where I'm at I'm not going to trade him low or anything I just have to kind of sit tight and hope that this turns around on him there's reasons that it could um or I mean he again hasn't been bad he's maybe not the best example but uh, he hasn't scored any touchdowns. Some of those elements, right? The, the whole Chargers offense has been so bad. Some things could turn around to where we can start to see some upside games from a player like that. But yeah, you're you're looking at your whole roster. You're saying, where are my weak points? Am I really thin at tight end? Am I really thin at, at you know? Do I have quarterback issues? Whatever. And and you're trying to make bets now with your roster that give you upside at every position that give you outs to having a really good squad obviously if you're 0 and 3 you need to rattle off a lot of wins so you want to be able to at least have upside and and paths to upside weekly upside hits at every position um so yeah i mean i, I think it starts with this honest assessment of your roster where you're at if your team has just been getting a lot of points against luck i don't think you necessarily freak out and, and start making a bunch of trades because you're 0 and 3 i think you have to just sort of accept that that's gonna happen in fantasy football ride it out and, and that some wins are going to go your way. Uh, the, the biggest thing, though, when you are 0-3, you do need to get wins, right? You can't go 0-4, 0-5, 0-6. And so the, the biggest thing in terms of if you're going to make moves that I do keep in mind is trying to optimize a little bit more for the short term and trying to optimize a little bit more for your starting lineup at the expense of depth. Like if you have guys that are really interesting or you have a lot of depth at a certain position and you have points mm-hmm. on your bench, 
it, it does become time. Like a lot of times I want to keep that depth as long as I can in almost any league. Cause there's so much chaos in an NFL season. You don't know how your roster is going to take shape over the year. You don't know who's going to get hurt or what's going to happen, but it does become time when you're zero and three to start to move from the depth, to try to fill in holes in your starting lineup. Very, you know, basic fantasy one-on-one, I think strategy. People are going, Oh, I have really good receivers and, and bad tight ends. I need to trade a receiver for a tight end. But you do want to do that to a degree because you want to optimize your starting lineup for week four to a degree if you can find those opportunities because you need to get some wins. Like you can't just sit on a roster that you think is going to be really good down the line right now. Uh, and that might even mean cutting some players that you really like that are stashes uh, it, it, rather than holding them and hoping that materializes because, again, you need, you might need to cut them for a player that can perform this week and optimize your lineup for this week and then deal with, you know, whether or not you can get that guy back later down the line. Because if you sit at 0-3 and wait on a team to break out that you think has long-term future upside, your season's over before that ever happens. And you don't get any participation medals for having the best team at the end of the year if you're 4-9 and nine or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. there's uh, definitely an element where you want to be uh, optimizing for the short term. You might want to be optimizing for your starting lineup at the expense of depth and hoping you'll hit some stuff on the waiver wire to backload that you don't want to be having a bunch of points and a lot of depth at certain positions while your season is at uh, points on the bench and, and depth at certain positions uh, while your season is basically just being squandered away. Right. Yeah. Wise, pragmatic words there. Uh, really tough to even you know, add anything onto that, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to start winning obviously this week, like trading for a guy that is, is upside based. Like we brought up Travis TTN, maybe like that. You can't do that. If you're on three, you can't, Yeah, you know, that's not a move. Like it's, it's a luxury item for teams that, uh, you know, are, are cruising right now that maybe have played ahead of their, their skis a little bit. And, you know, kind of one of those guys was in week one. I was kind of pushing like, man, if you're good, if your team is good, like this is the best time to try to acquire CD Lamb at, uh, after week one. And uh, it turns out CD Lamb's not quite dead after all, you know, these last two weeks. Um, we we saw him leave plays on the field, though, on Monday night. Yeah. And, like maybe he never gets to like that that legendary wide receiver status. It feels like a lot with CD Lamb has been priced in just like him being better. But the targets and the sustainability of at least being functional at Cooper Cup is there. Uh, is he someone that you look at these these two game sample with Cooper Rush as feeling like okay I survived the worst of this this is what I drafted or do you feel like oh just because he was able to do this at Cooper Cup maybe now's the time like he'll never get that legendary status I should maybe look to maybe upsell him. I think he's a I mean he's a he's a potential sell high I guess it depends sort of where he's valued again <laughs> I mean I think yeah, it's on every player yeah <laughs> it always does right I I. I I, he's the guy that I compared to DJ Morton stealing signals this week in the sense that we talk about teams and we talk about scheme and we talk about some of the, the elements of like real football. How, how are these teams winning and losing the, the elements that are actually helping them win games? Um, there's this whole, you know, football adage, think players, not plays. And I think what we saw from Dallas on Monday night was they went in there and they said, we have Cooper Rush, a quarterback. We don't have a lot of depth at receiver. We don't have Dalton Schultz on the field. We're going to think players, not plays. We're going to find ways to get the ball into CeeDee Lamb's hands. We threw wide receiver screens to him. We threw a goal line fade to him. He goes up and makes a one-handed catch. Even after the long drop, he goes and gets the opportunity to make that play in the in the goal line. They kept going back to him at all depths. They schemed that deep shot to him where he's wide open. I mean, I think that's him winning on the route a little bit, but it's also, you know, the willingness and, and the 
creativeness of the scheme to, you know, the willingness to, to, to go after that play and the creativeness of the scheme to get him out there and get him into one-on-one coverage where he can win, obviously a, a really disappointing drop on what could have been a huge play for him. He still has a really nice game though, because the, the Cowboys were like, we, if we're going to win this game, we need to have CD Lamb having a big game. And to see them do that is very bullish. It's very exciting. You want that for your fantasy receiver that, you know, I, I, I'm a huge advocate. I think one, one of the people that helped popularize the concept of, you know, targets are earned. And, and that's been, I've looked at targets per out run a ton and all of those things. At the same time, like the reason I compare him to DJ Moore is you talked about how Liam left some stuff on the field and we maybe did as a community want him to take a skill jump that hadn't been there. And there was people talking about that in the off season. Maybe he hasn't been good enough to be going where he's going. And maybe so far we haven't seen from a skill perspective that jump. I don't think CeeDee Lamb and DJ Moore are probably materially different in terms of how good they are as football wide receivers is sort of the comparison, <clears throat> but more is the player where Panthers very much are not thinking player versus play, right? Yeah. I mean, you can go look over at Christian McCaffrey and they're giving him 25 touches and ramming him into the line. And now he's got a thigh injury. It's like, this guy's already got injury issues. He's the greatest receiving back since Marshall Falk. You're not even running him on the option routes and things that have been so successful throughout his career. You, Christian McCaffrey should never have a game in his career with 25 carries and two catches. That is not, that's a Derrick Henry workload because he's a 240 pound back. Christian McCaffrey's a 205 pound back. That just tells you that this team is not thinking about players. They're thinking about plays. They're like, we want to run the ball on first and 10. So we're going to run the ball with our running back. And McCaffrey to his credit has had back-to-back hundred yard rushing days. Cause he's a good player, even at a smaller size, even doing the thing that he's not best at. I mean, he's a good, really good runner. But what he's best at is is a receiving back. He's just like mm-hmm. one of the all time greatest. But you are putting him in in situations that is you know not the way for him to succeed. I think that extends obviously to then DJ Moore, where I mean they just have no way of getting him creative touches. They're throwing wide receiver screens to Robbie Anderson, and he's fumbling in week two. They're throwing them to Shy Smith. Like DJ Moore is your yak guy. Robbie Anderson and Shai Smith are not guys that you throw right what the wide receiver screens do. You can pick who the wide receiver screen goes to. Like it's one of the few plays where you can basically just design it for a player. Again, we saw on, on Monday night that the Cowboys doing that for CeeDee Lamb and it didn't necessarily work particularly well, but why wouldn't you call that play for DJ Moore? That, that's a, a big difference between the, how these schemes are working for these two, two different receivers. And so, for Lamb, that's really encouraging. That's really exciting that they're willing to uh, feature him in that way. I, I felt like the Cowboys did it even a little bit with Tony Pollard. They came out and he got their first carry and, you know, ends up having a 46-yard run later on that drive. Zeke still played way more in, in his normal role, but they were like, hey, we're down playmakers. We're going to get the ball in Tony Pollard's hands early in this game. That was, a, I think, a really good indication from the Cowboys coaching staff that they know we're playing with a backup quarterback, you know, Dalton Schultz is out, all of these things. We have to do some creative things. We have to find answers in our playbook from what we were doing the first couple of weeks, especially week one, even when Dak was healthy, looked so bad as an offense. Uh, you know, they get some help with Jason Peters in there. The offensive line plays a little better than it has, but um, encouraging stuff from that offensive game plan, I think, that could be positive for CD the rest of the way. And one of the reasons I'm so discouraged about DJ Moore, despite still just absolutely loving him as a player, that it, it seems to me like Matt Rule and those guys in Carolina just don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you, you mentioned, uh, you know, Derek. Yeah, the Christian McCaffrey stuff was also very frustrating. Uh, absolutely. Everything that's going on in Carolina is very frustrating. The whole approach from a top-down, holistic stance is just kill everything with fire. But uh, you brought up Derek Henry and compared him to Derek Henry. Derek Henry had 
five catches on six yes. targets last week. Uh, are you buying that uh, having any type of sustainability or, you, you know, you thinking that this could be an out for him? I think it's interesting because I think it was a response to him not running particularly effectively over the last few weeks. I, I think some of these plays were basically design pass plays. They, they've done this mm-hmm. play a few times in his career over the past couple of years. We saw it a couple of times where they do a play action and then they, they do so much running with Henry up the middle and then they play action and hit the crossers and hit the receivers down the field. But they did a couple play actions to Henry where they have him run through the line without the ball and okay, it's a play action. But then he sits down behind the line of scrimmage and it's like a three yard curl, if you will. And he's basically the first target. They're just immediately checking down to him. We saw that a couple of times, a really quick target to him to get him the ball behind the line of scrimmage and then let him turn around and take on the linebackers. Basically, he only ran 13 routes. He gets six targets on him. I think they were more designed. That's probably not super sustainable. At the same time, that's something they did a decent amount last year until he got hurt. His receiving was up. And, and I think that was their answer to him not running efficiently the first couple of weeks. So he, he ran a little bit better in this third game, but it could be something that sticks. It's just, you know, it's not like his routes shot through the roof and he's suddenly yeah. going to be playing on all three downs. This is like the ceiling for him receiving wise is he's going to be out there for 13 routes and they designed five or six touches for him. It's probably even more like three or four. That's like the realistic ceiling catches right uh, on a weekly basis. But this type of play and this type of you know use, usage in their offense does seem like it could be um, consistent enough that that he could have a little bit of a receiving role relative to, to the first couple of weeks and basically every year of his career prior to last year. That was the big question on him, right? Was was the the receiving bump in twenty twenty one going to carry over at all? It hadn't the first couple of weeks. Week three, exciting, but you know, again, only thirteen routes, so not something where I'm going out and saying he's going to be a, a six target guy every single week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, the, the, the Titans are going to need that too. Well, one because the offensive line is in the state it's in, and that's impacted you know some of this run out with Derrick Henry. Obviously, whether or not you are a believer in just the amount of workload he has that's contributed, his yards for con- yards after contact have, have dropped every year of his career. They're off to a, a really kind of disappointing start this year, and in the middle of the year, the Titans like I don't know if anyone's really looked, but like they have just like an absolutely miserable run out. Uh, after their bye week after their bye they go Colts Texans which looks good then they go Chiefs Broncos Packers Bengals Eagles Jaguars Chargers they might not win one of those games Uh, (laughs) it is really really rough Uh, so yeah he's gonna need that type of usage just a little bit like you said just a little bit to kind of circumvent you know not having zeros in the receiving column for those weeks he doesn't score touchdowns but yeah it's 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 really dark though for Derrick Henry I think big picture but uh, one of the other things that happened in week three, speaking on some week three kind of, you know, you know, happenings was the Packers finally just swerved into playing Romeo Dubs. Now they kind of had to because Sammy Watkins and Christian Watson didn't play, but they should have been playing them all along. Right. Like this is something that like they should have yeah. done. And do you, are you putting any stock that like he legitimately is just like the best Packers receiver to own the rest of the season? Definitely. I mean, I, I was saying that. After week two, I, I think I had a tweet during the week two game. It was like the the Packers just refused to play their best receiver, but but Romeo Dobbs is gonna is gonna make that a moot point eventually. And I, I yeah, I was pretty high on him. He's one of the rookies I was very high on uh, throughout August. But I mean, but even back during draft season in, in Dynasty, um, really liked the landing spot for him, liked the the prospect profile and the fit. 
And, you know, we put a lot of stock into draft capital for good reason. But when you look at Christian Watson being the earlier drafted receiver and thinking of him as a different type of receiver and somebody that maybe doesn't necessarily overlap with Dobbs. And, and also Watson has some some warts in his prospect profile, not the most productive, even at a small school. Very athletic. Right. But like a certain type of player. Um, he was out, though, this week. Sammy Watkins was out this week. So you have this element where. Dobbs gets to run 94% of the routes, and that's super exciting. I'm, you know, at least a little bit concerned about how sustainable that's going to be with the other receivers back. They had a pretty big rotation over the first couple weeks. Dobbs didn't get a lot of playing time. I think it was like 60% routes week one down to like 45-ish, 43 or something like that. In week two when Lazard came back, and Lazard's immediately on a 90% roll. Lazard again in an 89% routes, I think, in week three. Dobbs right there with him, but that was the only game so far where a second Packers receiver has been way up there in routes. And I do think when Watkins and Watson are both back, you're going to see that continued rotation. Cobb's still getting about, you know, 50% routes. You're going to see more guys working in. The big key for me with Dobbs is, you know, I mean, he was great. Does he stay at like 80% routes, right? Because his high from weeks one and two is 60%. I I think he's got to be higher than 60% after what he did in week three. I think they learned enough, right? They're, They're not... They're looking for answers, and he was one of them this week. You know, does he fall to 70%? Because if he falls to 70%, that changes things. The other element with him that I actually see is kind of encouraging was that he only had 25 air yards on his eight targets, eight targets, eight catches, but at a 3.1, I think it was, dot. And so you're talking about him getting a lot of really shallow looks, but some of that was like the Devontae Adams place, man. It was the pre-snap stuff. It's him running a slant. And Rodgers is so good at getting the ball out quick. He's deciding pre-snap based on the looks he's seeing. He's going to Dobbs. For some other receivers, it might be an eight-yard you know, slant pattern where they catch the pass down the field. For Rodgers and, and Dobbs and for Adams for so long, some of those plays can be three-yard quick quick hits. And then he catches and has room to run. That's why he still winds up with you know close to 80 yards on his eight catches despite having this three-yard A dot. He's catching these balls in spots where – Rodgers is making the decision basically pre-snap. And in some cases, uh, his touchdown was a similar play where they had Lazard basically running in front of him from a stacked, you know, formation. And Dobbs is the clear first target there. And Lazard's not even really looking back. He's basically a lead blocker after this quick catch and goes in and runs into the defense and, and Dobbs runs in behind him and gets, gets into the end zone. And so you, you know, you have that that is actually really, really encouraging where you get the confirmation that this guy could be sort of the answer to the Devonte Adams role. There was some thought it could be Lazard moving into the number one role. I think through a couple of weeks, that's taken a pretty big hit. He hasn't earned a ton of volume and it looks like he's sort of in the same role he was in last year. Like that route I just described mm-hmm. that stacked route last year, that would have been Lazard running out as sort of the lead blocker and, and Adams running out as the, the touchdown scorer behind him. Um, so Lazard kind of feels like, you know, but he's on the field cause he does a lot of good things, including, being a good blocker, you know, at the receiver position. It looks like he's sort of in that role. It looked like Dobbs really kind of fit nicely in the in the Adams role. And so that's why I'm, I'm bullish for sure that there's this potential for him to not fall too far back with the routes. It's just a question of, you know, does the 94% from this week stay at 80% above? Does it fall back to 70% as they, you know, have to probably still work in Watkins and Watson? They're not going to just like completely not use those guys. But yeah, the, the other element I would say on Dobbs is the, the low A dot, the reason I think it's bullish, preseason, guys getting open downfield in this offense a lot. I mean, he was, and that's kind of his skill set coming in. He was showing the vertical mm-hmm. ability. So that can come with 
with time. The fact you talked about it with Mark Andrews, when you're getting these short and intermediate targets at, uh, you know, at a high clip, and then you start to add some air yards plays, that's what we're looking for from any, any pass catcher. And I think there's some upside here for sure for Dobbs to long-term be a guy who's getting six, seven, eight targets, getting a really nice mix of depth. Uh, you know, you don't, it, it's blasphemy to say he's, you know, going to be the answer for the, the whole of Devonte Adams, but it would not surprise me if late this season, he's putting up lines that are not Devonte Adams-esque, but make it very clear that he's the answer to that role in the offense. No, I like that. Yeah, we've been waiting for it. It's kind of like, you know, the, the the Maya Angela quote, I think I'll, I'll probably butcher it, but it's like when a person shows you who they are the first time, believe them. And when we saw Romeo Dobbs the first time, like... Beautiful quote. Be- beautiful you- quote. I mean, on a fantasy podcast, I just I need to pause and, and just <laughs> congratulate you for well done. And from, from go, all we've seen is like, this dude is going to produce, right? Like, you know, yeah. so like, why not buy into that? And like, you know, and, and he's and, definitely and, not a sell high. I mean, he's like the opposite of a sell high. There's yeah, still yeah. a lot of room for this to grow. And simultaneously, like we knew who, like Alan Lazard has already revealed this, who he is to, for him to be put on that pedestal and he's like for Al Lazard to basically keep being Al Lazard, like shouldn't be a shock to a lot, a lot of people. No. Uh, and there's touchdown equity to be had there. That's what he has. I mean, listen, if you got Al Lazard, you should feel good because you got arbitrage Allen Robinson. Uh, <laughs> that's what he, Allen Robinson is doing for the Rams. He's Alan Lazard in the Rams offense. Uh, Except for Al Lazard's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Allen rough, Robinson man. dropping, dropping TDs. No, I mean, Allen's are not necessarily better, but maybe. Maybe going to be more efficient the way we've seen Robinson play the first couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. One of the guys that uh, isn't getting a lot of routes that's been excellent, and we're not going to make this about him, but I'm going to segue into a bigger picture, is, is Rashad Bateman. Uh, Rashad Bateman's looked so electric anytime he's touched the football the first three games, but has run sub-80% of the routes in all three games, uh, is forced to live on kind of these big plays. And that's what the Ravens' offense has been through three weeks, is just these just huge plays. Uh, and Lamar Jackson is, is putting up just ridiculous numbers, almost co- comparable to 2019 production. Um, but he's doing it in a lot different way than he was in 2019. And it appears to be, I'm um, get your take on it. It appears to be far less sustainable than 2019. Uh, do you think that this is the, 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 the week that like this starts to slow down or, or do you just ride in this thing to like the moon? Yeah, I mean, this is like a lot of a lot of the questions where I've been like, oh, you know, kind of depends on the price and everything. I mean, I, I guess I think this like they're, they're going to regress some. Right. But I, I think in the landscape that we're in in fantasy in 2022, the concept of regression is so it's overused. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. ubiquitous that it's it's overused, I think, to the degree that like anyone who's playing in a league where people are you know vaguely competitive, whatever fantasy analysis they're getting is going to include some type of regression talk, right? And so you are talking about price dependency. We just talked about this with James Robinson. I think everyone, again, as long as you're not in like a, you know, an office league that you're playing against people who don't really pay attention to to much analysis at all, but kind of everyone is going to know that, you know, James Robinson's long touchdown is not sustainable. That's getting talked about a lot. This Ravens offense is one that is running incredibly hot, but I do think most fantasy players who've been playing for multiple years and have been around since regression has been such a popular term for now a decade or more immediately look at this and say, there's going to be regression here. This isn't sustainable, right? Like I, I hear that kind of a lot on, on my end, I think from, from the people that uh, you know, are subscribers of mine and, and people that I talk to. And so I, I guess, you know, my answer to this question is sort of like, yeah, like 
there's going to be regression, but also like this idea of regression is really relevant to the discussion of what do you do in terms of the action ability? Cause you're talking about like, do we ride this out? I mean, number one, the best, like we're looking for league winners and the best league winners basically look like they need to regress every step of the way for their whole season. They end up being outliers like Cooper cup at this point of last year looked like a guy due for regression after three weeks. It was completely unsustainable to what he had done up to the last season. And then he went on to have arguably the greatest receiver season ever. when you consider he played 21 games and did what he did all the way through the playoffs. I don't buy, I don't sell high on Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews in this situation. I look at it like there, you don't even get what you should get anymore because of how, you know, ubiquitous regression is. And people are very aware of how much you know, anyone listening to this type of a podcast is, probably themselves aware and their league mates are probably pretty aware as well of how much, you know, they've run hot and how much there is some regression that's, that's to be expected here at the same time. Like what are they regressing to? And like, you can get into this whole discussion of like, they're not regressing to a league mean they're regressing to their own personal means. And they've raised the bar. Now our expectations for them should be higher than the league mean, right? Like they're regressing now, I think to a higher bar, you want to be buying into the situations that could be outliers. It could be the greatest, you know, seasons of all time, if you will. Right. And so Andrews looks like he might have one of those types of tight end seasons. Uh, Lamar has already shown us the ability to do that as a quarterback. He mentioned 2019. He might not hit those heights, but at this point with how many bad offenses there are, he's a pretty huge hammer to, to have a quarterback that can be producing the way that he is. Even if he regresses some, he's still a pretty huge hammer. I mean, who else is there with him? It's like him, Hurts, and Allen, and that's basically it in terms of quarterback fantasy scoring and mm-hmm. in, in their own tier by by quite a bit. Some other guys are going to come up and maybe meet those guys, but I, I mean, I'm not giving away Lamar. I'm definitely not giving him more. I'm, I'm like almost untradeable in like a super flex where it's a little bit more scarce to find that type right. of quarterback production in single QB. I mean, you could talk me into it, but it would have to be at a price that is really reflective of the fact that he's been a huge positive, you know over expectation at the quarterback position asset and looks like somebody who's going to continue to produce. He's not going to have long touchdown runs every week. He had like an 80 yarder in week two. He's had a couple uh, hundred yard games already on the ground. He's throwing so effectively that, yeah, these things like they're going to regress, but at the same time, uh, I'm not, I'm not jumping ship in any kind of a way. I would be looking for signs. I'd be looking for, you know, if Dobbins gets healthier and they start to, their pass rate over expected starts to shift a little bit and they start to be a little more run heavy. There's some concern that maybe long-term they get back to how they were in 2019 and 2020. Cause so far their pass rate has been a lot more like what they were in 2021, which was this huge step forward, but it could be related to the same issues that they had in 2021 uh, in terms of their running back depth and not being very good. And so if we start to see like, okay, they're starting to feature Dobbins and Justice Hill more and they're starting to shift the way that they play their offense, maybe at that point, uh, and I think at that point, Lamar's value is still probably very high. You could probably still sell at that point. Right now, I'm not I'm not really selling. Yeah, th- this is an interesting one for me because when we talk about like like Cooper Cup season last year, like it was clearly like, yeah, there was, uh, he was an outlier, but it was like all offensive structure based still where it like made a lot of sense. This one is a little bit tougher for me to grasp because I don't think the Ravens are, their in structure offense is very good. And I think that sounds crazy to say out loud based on what they've, how they've produced so far. But you look at Lamar Jackson, like all their, 
all their big plays right now are off of teams going off of the method of last year. Like we need to send pressure at Lamar Jackson. Like we need to blitz him. Uh, you know, he's one, he has one of the highest blitz rates in the NFL. The, the Patriots last week, just even though they were getting murdered, just kept doing it uh, over and over again. Uh, and I wonder if we're going to see, especially particularly this week, because the bills have only blitzed four times all year. Like uh, what we're going to see, because in structure offense, the Ravens have not been good. When when teams have not blitzed Lamar Jackson, it's a four man pass rush. He's dead last in the NFL in completion rate and he's 20th in yards per attempt. Uh, I'm curious to see if there is some kind of shift in approach or teams are like, listen, man, happy learned how to putt. Like we can't be sending blitzes at this guy anymore. Like yeah. the gates, the gates are open. They're hitting big plays. So this week is a pretty that's great stuff. It's a, <laughs> a pretty big test I want to see because the Bills aren't going to blitz. They're definitely not going to blitz now that they've been so banged up, you know, that, that they're yeah. missing so many pieces. They might get Dane Jackson back and they might get uh, Jordan Poyer back, uh, but we know they're not getting Micah Hyde back. And so what's, they're gonna get. what's the Ravens answer going to be? Is it going to be running? That's what I want to know. Is it going to yeah. be so if teams start playing? So if teams are like, all right, well, let's let's not play a lot of ISO defense. Let's not send a lot of, you know, extra rushers at Lamar. Let's try to contain him, box him in. Is now that answer to where Dobbins then starts yeah. to be more of an J.K. Dobbins week. And we, we've seen the the NFL shift to this too because of the, the defensive structure we've seen on a league-wide stance, a top-down stance, where you see like rushing is up in the NFL because teams are inviting people around, but like not necessarily efficiencies up in rushing. You know, like you look at a team like the Bengals, right? Like the Bengals are getting invited to run the football and they're running it very badly. Uh, you know, are the Ravens going to be one of those teams when teams are teams right now are inviting the Ravens to pass and they're getting torched by it. Now, what happens when they reverse that and they say, all right, well, we need to start making, you know, Lamar Jackson throw into windows. We don't want to let him because remember, if you're blitzing too, you open the gates for the, the rushing, the scrambling, you know, you've got your backs to the quarterback. You, you end up giving up 80 yard touchdown runs. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very curious this week in particular. That's why I framed it just like, is this a week we start to see? Because this particular Bills match this is obviously going to be one of the hottest, probably DFS, you know, game stacking game that we see. Uh, that's why I kind of brought it up that way. But, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's that's great stuff. The the the, the blitz rate and, and the way the, the heavy, you know, lean towards the types of defense that they've seen. That's not something that I was aware of. So uh, no, but uh, it's great, but no, but like, yeah, but when we talk about like Lamar Jackson regressing, like he's always a guy that has run hot and touchdown rate regardless. And he probably always will have a touchdown rate that's higher than league rate. And even a yard from, from a yards or a pass uh, temp stance, like on a baseline level, he's going to run hotter than league baseline. Yeah. So like regressing for Lamar Jackson from an efficiency stance is still better than the average, you know, kind of yeah. quarterback in those parts. And that's before we even start to account for like, you're getting rushing production right. tacked on here. So, yeah, I mean, it would have to be a situation where you're getting like Jalen Hurts and another player, right? Because like Jalen Hurts is, is the opposite. Like we're seeing Jalen Hurts now win in structure. And like, that's scary. If like you're, if like that's sustainable, because if he's, you look at like last week, like the dude didn't run at all. And like, he was the QB too. And like, that's scary, yeah. right? Like that's, that's what happens when you add AJ Brown, the greatest receiver of all yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, ama- it's amazing that you can start throwing over the middle of the field and you yeah. add up one, you know, suddenly, uh, suddenly you're, you don't have such an issue throwing over the middle. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We, we listen. Ravens start playing Rashad Bateman more. Please do it. Uh, I want to get two two more quick, quick things on. Yeah. Uh, you want to get your take on, cause you brought up, you know, potentially a holding sky more. Uh, you know, but, you know, obviously if you're 0-3, it's a little tougher. But 
week one, kind of, you know, the the, the Chiefs just buzz, just steamroll the, the Cardinals, who have been a team that's had so many injuries, and they've, they've tried to do what they, they could the last couple of weeks, and they're just having a terrible run out defensively uh, in performance. But then we've seen the last two weeks, this Chiefs offense not necessarily, like, just have like that big play ability uh they're still they're still a good offense they probably won a game they shouldn't have won against the chargers and then lost the game they should have won against the colts so it bounced out but we've now seen the kansas city chiefs receivers they're way down in target rate the only only two teams have targeted wide receivers that are lower than the chiefs travis kelsey's part of that but it's down almost eight percent when they had tyree kill last year are these Chiefs wide receivers kind of a you know kind of a problem, or is it something you think they're Andy Reid and like they're going to work themselves through here as things move on? Uh, I mean, I, I'm concerned about the Chiefs passing core for sure. Uh, I, I look, I MVS is one I've had a hard time with all offseason. I think people wanted him to be more than he probably is and has been. If you look at, I mean, just like his Packers career, like as a player. Never had more than 75 targets, never had more than, I think it's like 700 yards in a season. You know, he beats out the, the, the he came in with the class that they drafted, what, like three rookies, Jamon Moore and um, someone else that I can't even remember. He beats these guys out. He plays a lot as a rookie, but like he had some ups and downs for sure in his four-year Packers career. Last year kind of got into more stable role, but still not like the most efficient player I felt like he has not been a good fit with the Chiefs through a couple of weeks. Um, not not like a bad fit, and he's being used quite a bit. And last week he had an opportunity to have a long touchdown where he got free, and that was like the first time it was like, okay, you got behind the defense. This is what he's good at. Mahomes missed him. It could have been a you know a really huge play. He's going to have some of those for sure. But in terms of like the routes he's running, a lot more like intermediate stuff. I just felt like he's been pretty uncompetitive in in the routes, and then and at the at the catch point on the targets like he's just like watching their offense like this guy's not an answer for them and you know to, to my eye juju's had a really weird three weeks where the first week and the third week he had a dots up over 10 great signs not something that we saw with pittsburgh over the last few years oh hey he's actually getting some air yards now this could be really good for him week two he had an a dot of like one yard i mean i think he had three targets uh for like four air yards or something like that just a couple of drag routes He's looking like he could be a big part of what they need, right, long-term. Uh, if they're going to use him in a little more of a vertical role, if he could be a little bit more like, obviously, the thing that we've been waiting for like three, four years to see. And he might be too removed from, but that early career stuff, 2018, uh, I, I believe that was the second year, right, 2018? Big, big monster mm-hmm. season, or maybe it was 2019. But he looks like a good piece. Um, obviously, Kelsey's a huge piece. Miko Hardman... I mean, at this point, we're pretty, pretty like I, I was a big Miko Hardman defender in terms of his like efficiency on a per target basis and the potential for him to actually have some value at a certain point. I think at this point, we have to admit this guy's too inconsistent. He's not going to be a player that's going to be a huge part of what they're doing right now. The way they're running it is a lot of MVS and Juju Miko in rotational third role. But, you know, the main third guy, obviously, Kelsey's a huge piece of what they're doing. I have not really used Sky Moore at all. I think when you look at what they've done and how poor they've been over the last couple of weeks, I expected more Sky Moore in week three when they had a 10-day layoff after how bad it looked in week two. He fumbles the punt right away, yeah. right? And so that's not going to help you get on the field. Like, you just gave them a touchdown. He fumbles it at the you know 10-yard line. They recovered at the five or whatever. Not ideal for a rookie to be you know making those types of mistakes. But a guy who has a good prospect profile, has a better athletic profile than I think people realize, got drafted pretty high for a non-power five early declare. First 
non-power five really declared to go uh, in the second round since Devontae Adams. Like that, like his draft capital was actually really good for the player he is. Like it was a, an indication of more buy-in than we typically see from a small school guy like that. That doesn't mean, you know, you, you ignore that he was a second round pick and not a first round pick or anything, but I, I had a, a take and a belief that we shouldn't view him as just an average second round pick in that regard, because he's coming from a smaller school and he's coming from, you know, a historically, a, a, you know, a situation where these guys aren't going to be first round picks at all. And it's a, it's a good sign just to see them be a second round pick. I do think they really like the player, right? It's been confusing that he's not played at all. But I think the big thing in Sky's favor, and the reason I was saying he's a guy I'm still willing to be in on, even though he has done nothing, is that, number well, apart from the fact that he's playing with Patrick Mahomes, is that the receivers and the receiving core that's that we're having this conversation that you're asking me, are the Kansas City wide receivers a problem? I think they are. <laughs> I think MVS is playing a lot and not playing particularly well. I think Miko is Miko, and I think Juju has potential but hasn't been great so far to the to the degree that they at least need to get into like a four receiver rotation and get Sky more involved. A lot of rookies do take time to come on. I mean, it's again, not great that he hasn't played at all, but we do like, we we've been talking about it all show. We're spoiled right now with, with, you know, Alave, Garrett Wilson, with Drake London, with Jahan Dotson playing a ton just from day one, from Pickens playing a ton from day one, with Dobbs blowing up. Traylon Burks is up to 90% snap rate last week. It's been crazy how much these rookies have been used in the first three weeks. This doesn't happen in a rookie class. And I think as part of that, you get even more negativity on Sky, who was getting drafted in a group with all these other rookies. And it's like, all of them are hitting, and Sky's the only one that's not, you can't even get on the field, right? But it's not that out of the question for, especially when we kind of knew they brought in Juju, they brought in MVS as free agents. These guys were going to play early. The, the idea with Sky Moore was that you're talking about a guy that's going to need to work his way on the field. I hope for more work early in the season than we've seen. I was hoping to get some production by this point. And especially by week three, when when week two went so poorly and they had a 10-day layoff. The same time, like I, I look ahead to week eight and on, and I don't see how Sky Moore is not a part of the equation at that point, and a big part, and probably their best player. Like we have seen, I mean, that's that sorry, their best receiver. That's that's a bold statement, but like we have seen a lot of these other rookies immediately be good. And we would have said two two weeks ago that was a crazy thing to say about Garrett Wilson. We would have said a couple weeks ago, maybe not London, but several of these rookies. You, you talked about at the top of the show, before we see it, people don't want to buy in. But when the prospect profile is really strong, I think the fact that all these rookies have been so good is another positive that Sky Moore still was a second-round pick in what looks like a good class, right? Like the, the NFL was right about all the receivers they took in the first round and even into the second round, probably with like guys like Pickens who, you know, maybe you know, hasn't done a lot, maybe isn't like the, 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 the shining best pick so far. But I think that, you know, Pickens is going to be good long-term as well. There's a lot of optimism about this whole class. Sky's a part of that. Guy hasn't even played yet, but people are just, you know, willing to throw him back onto waivers and stuff, even in deep leagues, just because we haven't seen it yet. And I mean, it would be different for me if we had seen it and he'd been failing, you know, miserably. But the fact of the matter is the Kansas City wide receivers have been a problem and they have been pretty bad the last couple of weeks. And they're going to have to come up with answers at some point. And Sky is the obvious next one. Like I talked about with Pitts, they're already getting asked about Sky. You know, Biennemi got asked after week two and he made the comment, he's going to play more than two snaps. Well, he ended up playing like seven in week three. Like, okay, happy to hear that he played more, but like we were, but they're going to keep asking, why are you not using the, the media is, and, and it happens in a way that, you know, maybe it shouldn't influence coaches, but they, like 
there's organizational investment in these players. Like eventually they're going to try to find an answer for the fact that the passing game's not going well. Sky's going to get some opportunities. And I think, you know, based on what we've seen, again, MVS is going to have some good plays. Miko is going to have some good plays, some, you know, explosive plays. They're going to look good because of those explosive plays. But from a down-to-down consistency and those types of things, it's basically for me, it's Kelsey, it's Juju, and then it has to be Sky. Like that has to be their answer when they are getting into the postseason stretch. So I, I'm I'm thinking, you know, week eight, week 10 and on, we're going to see Sky more producing. And so, you know, in that regard, I want to be holding him in any kind of deeper league. If it's a shallow league, I understand having to cut him, but you're still keeping him on your watch list and, and high on your watch list because you want Patrick Mahomes receivers. And the uncertainty with his skill, even though he hasn't played, is still something that can be a positive. What if he is a huge hit, right? Like there were reasons to really like his prospect profile. If he does come out and play really well, when he starts to get a decent number of routes, like they're going to just keep playing him more and more and more. He could escalate really quickly. Like Traylon Burks did over the three weeks. I think he was like 30% routes, 60, 70%. Then he's up to 90% the third week. I mean, if we get sky at 30, 40% routes and he's making plays and then we could see that type of escalation pretty quick, I think so. Uh, And there's other ways it can open up injuries and things like that. So uh, he's a guy I definitely want to hold on to. Yeah, it's crazy the Chiefs right now because, you know, they tried to build their team almost to kind of combat the amount of, like, too high looks, right? Like, they are like, we're going to do this. And what's crazy is everyone kind of looked at their roster, and they're seeing the man coverage at the league's highest rate. Everyone kind of looked as like, oh, you don't have Tyree Kill anymore? We're, we don't need to guard any of these other guys. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy that they might have boxed themselves into not having, you know, one of those guys that can just be kind of like a guy and get open on man a coverage. A man beater. But like that's what Sky Sky yeah. Moore should be. Right. You look yes. at his production profile; it's yeah. been incredibly strong throughout his college. Like that's why we look at stuff like Dominator rating and these types of you know. I mean, he, he is a prospect. The the most the part that I like to him, I'm no Lance Sirline by any means. But my the, my biggest thing about him was his release at the line of scrimmage. Like yeah. he and you know, granted he's he's playing in a you know a smaller a smaller pond, but like he roasted dudes off the line of scrimmage uh, repeatedly in college. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, you would think if you're having trouble beating man coverage, he would be a guy to kind of get on and be, you know, get on some man beating situations, but I'll let you get out of here. One last thing. When I first met you, we met for the first time, I believe it was in Nashville. Oh, <laughs> it this was can't this, go well, wherever when, this goes. It no, 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 it was, it was, it was, it was, it was fun times. It was when the Steelers played the, the Patriots though, as the night we were all there for FSWA event. And, uh, you had kind of joked to me about, you know, playing me in Tecmo Bowl. And uh, I went this weekend to a retro gaming convention, uh, you know, non-humble brag. That's the most non-humbly brag a fantasy analyst probably has in their bag. But uh, if, if you were to to play Tecmo Bowl and you couldn't pick the Giants, the 49ers, the Eagles, one of the top teams, who would you pick? Oh, I mean, it would be probably – I mean, honestly, it might be the Raiders and just and play Bo Jackson, right? Just play Bo. But- that's tough because he only have a couple plays for Bo. And, you know, you get to a sharp player like Rebar, he's just going to call the Bo runs every time. And then what are you going to do? And then you got to throw to Willie Galt. Like, this isn't going to work. Um, I, I I always like the Oilers passing game. Oh, yeah. It's a good thing. You, you didn't throw the Bills in there? I think I would go to the Bills. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I I, yeah. They're, they're one of the top teams, too, though. But, yeah, it would be someone like the Raiders. The Oilers is a, is a fun roster to play with in that game. They got to a more diverse passing game than most of the Tecmo Super Bowl teams. They got like a lot of shotgun four wide stuff. Like mm-hmm. most every other team, really have, for people who don't know, you have four run plays and four pass plays. Most of the other teams have like play action stuff that you like basically can never call. Cause it takes so long to even be able to throw the pass that, you know, someone like Reeves is just going to sack you right away. So 
Um, at least the, the Texans have four pass play or the, the Texans, the Oilers have four pass plays that uh, uh, give them a little diversity and, and make it a little more fun to play with them from a passing perspective. I love I love that call. Uh, you know, Lorenzo White is functional too. Yeah, so like yeah, he's good. Uh, the good. Those good wide receivers. Those old Oilers teams were fun, man. You had Warren Moon too. So I mean, it's yeah. Warren Moon, uh, one of the one of the OG goats. Kind of a, a not remembered player, but like, man, what a great career. Who Warren am I forgetting? Moon. Who are some other teams that you would throw in? There? I I like the Falcons. Or I, Falcons. Like, we we Falcons. talked about this yeah. a lot because I thought like so a lot of people think defensively. Like, do you think of the, the great defensive players in Tecmo were the pass rushers, the Reggie White, uh, Lawrence Taylor? like those guys and i always thought dion was super dion. underrated yeah. because he cover was so fast lot, so fast you could basically it's, shut down the whole passing game with dion you can, you can cover, cover every route. route if you could yeah. see the progressions because a lot of people know the progressions that you have to, to throw balls you have to go through cycle through each yeah. receiver so if you want to get back to a guy you have to go through and with dion was so fast you can always understand if, a, if he wants to get back to this receiver he has to cycle here here and here and i can get back with dion and then they were another team that had a little bit of the the run and shoot. They didn't have as good as quarterback though as Warren Moon was in the game. But you had you know Andre Risen and Michael Haynes. Uh, some, Terry, some Terry what is it? Terry Rozier, whatever. Yeah, right yeah, Terry Rozier was the running back for the Falcons. But I always liked them too. But yeah, uh, yeah good, fun. good, good time. So listen, I'll let you get out of here on that note. Let everyone know again where they can find everything you're doing this season. Uh, where they can get access to the musings of, of Ben Gretsch and stealing signals. Uh, you know, this camera, that camera, this camera, stealing the Sean Evans line, you know, give, give the pitch here. Yeah. Uh, ben Gretsch at Substack.com is stealing signals. That's the fantasy football newsletter. Also have a betting newsletter, uh, stealing lines.substack.com. Have a podcast with Sean Siegel over at Rotoviz uh, called Stealing Bananas. We're stealing a lot of stuff and and then ship chasing on Wednesday nights with, with Pat Corain and, and Peter Oberzet. That's the main that's the main core stuff. Beautiful. We love it. Uh, once again, thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully, like I said, everyone starts October off. We, we close October off with a win here. You know, the, everyone starts uh, the month off with a win, the new month. Uh, we'll be back here in week five. Everyone, good luck this week.